Jaden, this is the podcast I've been waiting to do my whole life. We have very special guests on the show. Uh, of course, we have uh, Alex Singla, who's a senior partner at McKinsey and leads our co-leads, really Quantum Black, which is the AI consulting our AI consulting arm of McKinsey, and that you know takes all this AI and cutting edge solutions and combines it with McKinsey. What McKinsey does really well in terms of uh, domain expertise and deep strategic thinking. And I'm excited to have Alex on the phone, but I, but I'm really thrilled to have his colleague Liz Grennan. Note the last name similarities. This is my wife Liz, uh, and Liz is also a partner at McKinsey. Alex, I should say, is a senior partner. Liz is a partner, and Liz co-leads the global digital trust service line as well as the data uh, ethics and privacy efforts. And she's um, really a leader in responsible AI. Let me first just say, welcome to both of you. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, let me actually just ask before I'm not even going to let Jaden speak for one second. I want to hear first uh, from both of you, real quick. Uh, how did you get here? Because you're both in pretty uh, senior positions doing pretty cool things. Alex, uh, you want to go first? Just how, how did you sort of end up in this uh, amazing position helping to lead uh, Quanta Black? Um, honestly, some level of dumb luck. Uh, but the reality is like for, you know, I've been at McKinsey for 24 years. And so for the first, I'd say 17, 18 years, I was not like this big techie doing a bunch of AI and data work. What ended up happening, I was a, I was actually a pretty hardcore operations person serving clients doing operations work. We brought in, I brought in Quantum Black or AI arm of the firm to basically look at um, basically why like big engines were failing. And historically, you would just do that operationally look at like the engineers would go out and look at planes and understand what happened. Well, here, these Quantum Black folks took all the data, dumped it into this huge, you know, machine learning element and cranked out some analyses and insights that was groundbreaking done in a fifth of the time and was more insightful than anything any human could ever figure out. And I quickly said to myself, you know, I'm not old enough to retire before this thing like eats what I do every day for lunch. <laughs> and so uh, I'm quickly like this, this, this analytics thing's not going to go anywhere. And so I jumped all in on that topic. Um, and so uh, the combination of learning about a bunch of technology, but then also particularly understanding what's it take to implement it, which is a lot of what I was doing in the operations world, which is how do you get the front line to change its behavior and do something different? And so as I was really bringing these things together, um, uh, the now um, global managing partner of our firm, Bob Sternfels at the time said, you know, Alex, why don't you help us lead this effort? And so I literally fell into the role given that and uh, it's played itself out the last five years, which has been an absolute blast and just a great learning. That's so cool. Liz, over to you. Well, I have been at McKinsey seven and a half years, and I had previously, I've, I've been a lawyer my whole career, but I had previously been the general counsel of two different AI startups and joined McKinsey right when they bought Clone and Black. So I had that same feeling of um, maybe it wasn't, Maybe it wasn't the first thing I would have thought to join, except for that they had gone so deep in AI and analytics, and I jumped on it opportunistically to think like, this is a great place to be an entrepreneur. And I joined as its first analytics lawyer and ultimately became Quantum Black's lawyer and then led uh, McKinsey Digital Legal at Risk and got to serve Alex as his lawyer. And then a few years back, I shifted over to consulting because I think there's so many exciting things to do operationally, grounded in legal and regulatory knowledge, but it was so much fun to see the 
things actually happen within organizations and, and make that happen. So, um, and Alex has been a great mentor and, um, and sponsor. Amazing. Okay. This is so fascinating. You guys obviously haven't like just started. This is something you've been doing for a while. So I got to ask Alex, like how has your, you know, given your background and you've been focusing on this for a while, how has your last year been? Uh, I think Liz can test it. Well, my, my family can testament to this as well. Um, I don't think I've ever traveled or worked more in any given year than last year. Um, it was uh, unbelievable. But, uh, you know, I got to just say, like, it's a super privilege to be in the role I had because, you know, th there's value in going across, you know, nearly 200 organizations, CEOs and boards having very similar conversations. So at some level, once you have the conversation 5, 10, 20, 50, 100 times, you kind of really understand what everyone's, where they see the opportunity, where they see the challenges, where they see the risks, back to kind of Liz's point around risks and how you think about it. And so it's just a, it's a super, you know, I'm, I'm humbled to be in this position to have the opportunity to do that on behalf of McKinsey um, and just learn from all these amazing other institutions, which then, of course, we can codify and have our own strong perspectives on how uh, things can go forward. So it, it's been the most I've ever worked, but I got to tell you, probably the greatest learning and one of the funnest years I've ever had at, at, in my professional career. That's yeah, that's amazing. I think a lot of us in tech and in business right now, we're feeling this like acceleration, right? And uh, I think, yeah, there's going to be that same sentiment with a ton of people. Um, and I guess to that, I would just be curious to hear Liz's perspective too. And I know Connor's got a lot of exciting questions, but I would be curious to hear from you, Liz. Um, like what, give us one of your highlights of the last year, like in working in this AI, this crazy environment, what was, what's one of your highlights from it? Thanks, Jaden. I think, you know, Alex mentioned an inflection point of seeing when the Planet Black folks could turn around results that were just sort of groundbreaking. I think, um, folks said, okay, I'm, I'm going, I'm doubling down on analytics. I'm going all in on this. Here we are now, and I think with Gen AI, it is another inflection point and maybe maybe more poignant where it's so transformational, it's so exciting, and it's so clearly the beginning of a long arc that for me, realizing that I had been focused on you know data and AI risk for a while, um, but knowing how, <laughs> how desperately the clients were really going to need to get after this to enable acceleration in this space, and the acceleration is too compelling to ignore. So it, it, feel, it feels to me like I, I started to see one of those times where everyone's going to have to do this. And so that's one of the fun things about being at McKinsey is you do see so much. You see such a 360 view across clients, jurisdictions, sectors, size of industry, size of company, um, different leadership styles. But themes start to emerge and it's really great to be able to bring insights that you, know, that you start to see patterns emerge and, and you bring them to, to bear to say, here's how you might fix this or here's how you might pursue that and here's some results you can get and and then just test them in the real the real life labs that are these organizations which i think is really rewarding yeah that is that's so cool it's and uh, you know it's funny so just in terms of the speed uh jaden and i were just just talking just before we came online with you guys just about just even this last couple of days have been just insane it's very very hard to track uh with one giant behemoth coming out with something and then literally hours later something else coming out with something and, you know, in very sort of different spaces, and I mean, we're talking about kind of LLMs a little bit in generative AI, but really in different spaces. And I was just, you know, this is a question for for both of you guys. Like, you know, McKinsey is known for going, um, you know, extremely broad and extremely deep. That's the, I guess, the power of being McKinsey, right? I don't think we're sort of 
uh, you know, introducing McKinsey to the world here. Uh, but in terms of this generative AI, it it's seemed to, and Jane and I have talked about this a ton, it really seems to just hit every single industry. And I don't know if it's hitting every industry in the same way, but just wondering how you guys have sort of seen it from, you know, you don't have to track the whole year, but from like kind of the evolution of the year, what's it been like trying to uh, start to kind of, you know, grab onto common themes around when organizations are doing this well or when they're not or with the questions that they have. I know risk comes up a lot and obviously like what are we supposed to do comes up a lot. But I know it's a really broad question, but how have you guys sort of, yeah, I mean, what are like the common threads you all are bringing together when you're tracking across different organizations? Liz, you want me to start and you can chime on in? That sounds great. Yeah. Um, so, Connor, I think it's a great question. I, I synthesize it down to basically six questions. I, I'm purposely oversimplifying. There's hundreds of questions, but I bucket them basically into like six big categories. You know, at the early part of 2023, like the first half of the year, the question was basically like, what is generative AI? How is it different than machine learning, traditional AI? Is it hype? Is it reality? So quickly, the conversation changed to these six questions. It went from like a super high level to like, what are the specific opportunities within my business? I don't want to hear about writing a poem for my son's birthday party. I like, what? how do I go improve efficiency, effectiveness, customer experience, employee engagement in my organization? Like specific, question one. Question two then came down to like, how do I govern this thing? How do I govern all the data, all the, all the models, and all this tech I'm going to be building? How do I govern it? Should I be, should I be decentralized, centralized? How do I think about this? Because most organizations have struggled with data for years. Forget about Gen AI. Just in traditional AI, they've struggled with data. The third question is around the ecosystem of players. If you start to think of Gen AI, it's a tremendously complicated ecosystem. You have all the hyperscalers with you know, AWS and Azure and GCP. You have all the, the LLM providers, whether it be OpenAI, Cohere, and Dropping, Hugging Face, and the list goes on and on. And you need all those parties to come together to actually deliver a business solution at scale. And so, like, how do I manage this network of this ecosystem of players who's, by the way, every three months, somebody else is in the lead on a different topic. It's not like it's static, right? It's evolving. And there's a new there's a new billion dollar unicorn popping up tomorrow. So how do I think about this? You know, the fourth question is around um, what is the implications this has on risk versus value creation? which Liz can talk, you know, all day long on. Um, but risk is a critical topic. It's not like we weren't talking about risk in traditional AI, but with generative AI, it's kind of like you're talking about risk on steroids, right? Like every board, every CEO wants it to understand the risk implications of this. But yet with the balance with value creation, mm -hmm. the fifth question is around talent and people. What, what implications does this have for my existing people? Future talent I'm going to hire? And how about for my technology stack? What is the implications on the tech stack? How do I have to think about that? And then the last question is always around, how do I get going? How do I learn? And how do I capture value? Because we will continuously say this is absolutely a learning journey. And so you need to start. Speed is the strategy. Learn your way through this. Um, you know, Balance risk along the way. But it's a really important that it's a learning journey. And you got to start to start to learn. Yeah, I would say this. I would say the same. I think um, 
some of the markers, you, you asked Conrad about patterns, some of the markers of organizations that are really leaning into this with strength, it, there's a readiness aspect to it. And so typically, I think last year we had a lot of conversations around the risks. What is, which is Alex's original point, what is generative AI? Is it, is it a hype? Is it distinct? What is it? Give it, give me context and scope. And then it was, well, wait, what about all these risks? And, you know, the, the parade of horribles, if you will, and, and just trying to get heads around the risks. And do we even want to pursue it? And then I think as the year went on, it, it became clear that they wanted, that they were going to pursue it. They, you know, I think there was sort of initial sort of reaction of shut down. Nope. Our organization is not going to use it. But then you ask, if you pull, if you pull the employees of an organization, they're all using it on their phone. Like there is, there is no way that people are not using this. So the horses left the barn. And also it's incredibly, the, the value is, is there. So it's too hard to ignore. So then, then given the folks are pursuing it and we are all living in an environment, even if you don't pursue Gen AI, your vendors all do. So there, there's no way around the readiness piece here. This is the world that we live in now. This is the new normal. And so the, I think this, the, those who lead with strength are those who are pursuing readiness. And what does readiness look like? It's answering those questions that Alice listed. It is, do I have the op model that will support this? Do I have the talent that knows how to do this? Do I have the strategy that overpins this? Do I know what value I'm searching for? Like, what, what are my use cases? What's going to be valuable? What's not going to be valuable? What's a waste of time? What will fatigue people beyond the point of wanting to pursue this? Do I have the right risk management? And, and how, do I, how do I get to speed and adoption? Um, how do I make this fly once I you know, get this all right? So, um, so the, these are the things I think the, the leaders are doing early because you're going to have to do it at some point anyway. Yeah, I you know. Maybe can I add two other things? I just, you know, as Liz was rattling, that I just want to build off of. I think when we look at those organizations that we or seem to be really accelerating, you know, in the back half of 2023 and even, you know, in the early part of 2024, is some common themes are they are business driven problems they're solving. Yeah. So they're not building tech for tech's sake. There's a business problem they're trying to solve. And then the conversation becomes how does Gen AI or AI play a role in helping solve that business problem? And so that's a, it's a really important kind of mindset shift of let's create a use case around a specific problem, a tool to what's the business problem we're trying to solve. Now let's figure out what use cases apply um, is kind of one. The second one is in every instance, the CEO or the top team have to be aligned that this is something they're going to go after because, because it is a learning journey. It's good. You're going to have starts and stops. You're going to have failures and successes, and you're going to have to invest in this ahead of the curve. And so you have to have some, you know, through cycle mindset that says, we're going to keep working at this because we know it's going to be critical to what we do. And then the third thing, which, um, you know, uh, I am talking a lot about is you have to think about value capture on the front end, not the back end. And what I mean by that is at some point we're you know, people, organizations create a bunch of technology, deploy a bunch of solutions, but at some point you have to capture value. And the only way you get P&L value is one of four ways. Either, you know, you reduce headcount, you slow down hiring of headcount relative to what you historically did because you put in some solutions. The third is if it's a growth solution, you're increasing sales targets. Or fourth, if it's a customer experience or employee engagement, you better make sure that, you know, the employee, the customer experience is increasing retention or lowering acquisition costs. Right. And th at some point, the CFO is going to come back on somebody's door and say, like, help me justify this continued investment. And so, like, 
thinking about value capture on the front end um, is really, really important. And aligning finance, HR, legal, and risk as one group with technology and the business, we think is critically important, particularly with this uh, with this world of Gen AI as you move forward. Yeah, 100%. Liz, I know you work, you know, specifically with kind of like the trust and the safety aspect of a lot of this AI. Something that I think a lot of people would love to get your perspective on is what is the framework? Yeah, I feel like we kind of had that, that you kind of use when addressing this because I feel like maybe we kind of had like a test run with ChatGPT. We all had to figure out like, oh my gosh, huge innovation is coming in. This is changing everything. How do we address it? Maybe we had like a, a mini one with like Dolly as it got better, but it was kind of before ChatGPT. So, but we're like right on the cusp where obviously yesterday, OpenAI unveils Sora. This is the, uh, you know, AI generated video. Phenomenal. So exciting. A lot of concerns in the trust realm with this, right? Um, this is like one thing that happened. I, you know, I predict there will be hundreds of these over the next five to 10 years of, oh my gosh, this is, you know, some incredible, insane technology that's new capability. What is your framework? What does it look like when you see something new like Sora, like launch, and all of a sudden everyone's asking you, hey, Liz, you, you know, you're at McKinsey. Like, what do we do about this? What, how do you, how do you process that? How do you make your framework? Like, what does this process look like for you? Yeah, I, I well, I, I'm so excited for Sora. I, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in myself, given my role and the hat that I wear, that I did not immediately see, you know, deep fakes and misinformation because I was thinking, I'm going to make this Lord of the Rings. I would have, like, I, I had this kind of vision of how I would use it. <laughs> the nerd emerged really quickly. But I want to, um, well, this, here's the thing. There's stuff out there, and it's very exciting. And and I have I I don't I don't play a role in society. I'm not a regulator. I don't play a role in society where I'm trying to manage bad impacts across across society. And I think that's I'm so grateful that people are doing that. And I'm, I you know I I think um, there are folks at Stanford's HAI that are calling you know for investment in um, just PhDs joining government to to get after this. And there's a there's a big need for it. But when I when I think about helping um, clients. I think about things that Alice describes. What are they doing? They are doing specific things and they're doing them because they are solving things. So by answering the question you didn't really ask, which is um, organizations won't necessarily take the best and most exciting and most shiny and just put it into production. They, 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 they largely won't. So it's really about creating something about around what they're currently pursuing. Um, say it's an externally facing, like a consumer facing virtual expert. Well, that's its own if that's its own risk flavor, if I if you call it call it its own risk category, what are the guardrails you create for that? And you just you you red team the heck out of it. You bring together a bunch of folks that go through the parade of horribles. How bad could this get? And then you create a set of guardrails that go with that use case. Well, what you're doing when you do that is you're creating essentially you're creating your new control functions in a lab that is fit for purpose for these new emerging use cases. And I think there's a layering effect as you find things you want to pursue that the CFO is going to sign off on investing in. There's just, there's a, there's, there, it's cabined to these pilots. And then as you scale, you'll, you'll categorize the risks into the, into, you know, these buckets. And, and I, I, ideally you're creating guardrails and learning as you go, but boy, that learning journey applies here too. No, no one has answers on the, like the silver bullet for risk management for these new technologies, but you have, but you have to get started and you have to start the learning journey, both on the risk side and the solutions side, as, as you do on the innovation and, and, and value capture side. So they need to go hand in hand. And I think, it will be great if the market for the in the market and the innovation 
um, for the solution, the risk solution space grows as fulsomely and as quickly as the innovation writ large space in, in this. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that's a, that's a solution. And and outside red teaming, and maybe the government says something about you know they're starting to say things about what what red teaming looks like and how you know standards might emerge and orient around those. So, um, but you know for lack of for lack of a perfect solution, you really do have to get started with what you have currently in your shop, what you currently need to risk manage and getting all those folks together to, um, to create something that's fit for purpose for the now. And then you, and then you'll grow from there. Yeah. Alex, anything I, before I ask a question, Alex, did you want to add anything to that? You know, I, I think that this is Liz said it, that this is, um, no one knows the exact answer to your question, Jaden. Like, I think the frameworks are helpful. Like, don't get me wrong. You should have a framework. But what I always would suggest is it's a little bit why we talk about like you just got to get going because you you can't write the framework of like what we just described with Sora at a level of specificity in which it can be executed. Yeah, exactly. You're only going to really know how you think about risk when you actually start to say, this is how we want to use something. Now let's problem solve all the potential risks around it. And what will we as an organization do about it if A, B, or C does, or how do we mitigate? And so I always talk about this like, got to put some water through the pipes so we take like these high level frameworks and you know motherhood and apple pie statements and actually make them real like in a real scenario here's what we our organization is going to do and our risk tolerance and you kind of you know document the why you did it because i think the why is really important because you know all the organizations you spend with they all want to do the right thing they all want to do what's good for humanity like what's good for society they they have positive intent and so I think documenting that process is really an important step, but it's hard to do unless you actually have like a real example to talk through um, with some level of specificity. So uh, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. How I, I start to think about it. Maybe I'll like it. Yeah, I, I love this. And it's, it's, please. No, it's Connor. I was thinking when you took go, 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 go. When you took a backpacking trip and you went to like, you went sailing down the Amazon um, and I kept thinking about getting eaten alive by piranha. For some reason, like that's the risk that I'm like, I don't want to do that because I don't want to get eaten alive by piranha. Well, what would you do? You'd not backpack then? Is that the solution? Like, no, you'd say, okay, I'm going to go backpacking and I'm going to go on this particular flight to this place and stay at this hostel, which has this, which I want, you know, I want to have this level of protection in that hostel. And on, you know, statistically on this, you know, seagoing voyage, no one's gotten eaten by piranha. And yes, I have to sleep in a hammock, but you can, you can, if you have the actual plan, you can risk manage that actual plan versus sitting in like the existential angst of, I don't want to get eaten, which I don't like for I, I love that the world is, is seeing what it's like to like <laughs> inside the marriage of Liz and Connor Grennan. Like I'm like, what are you doing this? And Liz is like, wait, totally. Where's the spreadsheet? Let's plan this out. Like what's the risk factor? Like, uh, this is phenomenal. I wanted to ask you, and maybe I want to. Hear, I want to hear from both of you on this, and this is probably a little more subjective. But you know, we go back and forth on this all the time, and Jaden and I talk about it, and which is this idea that you know it's much less about a sort of a a, a typical digital transformation, and there's just so much change management in here because every it affects general. You know, this technology essentially affects not just every industry, but every company and every. Uh, department every role and, and McKinsey has done some phenomenal uh, work around this around sort of you know what what digital transformation is and what it is not and I guess uh, the subjective question I would ask because I get asked it a lot and Alex and then Liz 
you know, when you're, you, I know you talk to leaders all the time. I know because Liz, uh, I know the hours Liz's works. I'm sure Alex, you work the same. You're talking to these huge leaders all the time, big or small or whatever. Like, who are the leaders when you're talking to them? You hear them thinking about it in the right way. Because I hear people talking all the time, like, well, how should I be thinking about this? What kind of companies do well? Like, who does this well? And not even from an organizational standpoint, but really from a leadership and cultural standpoint. When you hear this, and also you can take the negative side of this as well. I don't want you to throw anybody, any clients under the bus, uh, anonymous, of course. But like, what are you hearing when you're like, okay, I think that we're actually really going to have some success here. Like, what are the traits in leadership that you're hearing? Great question. Um, this, I, I would go back, I'll say similar to what I was saying before, just, you know, top team, CEO driven, big aspiration, right? Big, bold aspiration on what they want to go do. This isn't like incremental change. It's a big, bold aspiration. When we hear that, we get excited because, you know, at the end of the day, the models and the use cases are fun. They're sexy. They're fun to talk about what the, that you can have. But at the end of the day, you need the right like data architecture, cloud, underlying cloud platform. You know, then you build models and you're going to need some UI, UX interface so everyone can use the tools well. And then I do not want to discount the whole downstream process redesign, change management incentives. Mm -hmm. It's so often that's an afterthought for companies. Um, and those that actually think about that from the very beginning and recognize that, you know, we often say for every $1 in technology, you better think about spending $5 on change management, process redesign, capability building, because that's where things get stuck. You, you know, usually you can solve things via technology and data. It can take some time, but you can solve it. It's, the, it's those that can actually get adoption and scaling of those solutions that we think are like going to be the differentiators between those who win and those who do not in this space. Um, you know, that, that, that's what I would add. I don't know, Liz, if you have some more to add to that. Yeah, I think I was, you know, it's funny when, when you said, Alex, that don't do tech for tech's sake, like think of problems you want to solve and then think if AI or Gen AI are the right things to solve it. But you have to map that, you, you, you add to that, raising your ambition. Because it's not about like, what are your traditional problems? Oh, you can use the, the AI to solve it now. Look how exciting that is. You could do so many incredible things now. So it's both, it's both and. It's, it's like, it's not only like what problems do you want to solve and get the, the right tech to fit that problem solving, but also maybe the problem becomes defined as how, how big is our ambition? Is it big enough? Do we make, do we raise the bar on our ambition? Do we do something that we never thought we could do, but now we can? Can we disrupt someone we couldn't? Do we have some fair advantage because we're already there? Really, really like elevating that and then seeing if that's the new problem, how do I get there? Can I use AI or Gen AI to solve it? And then it's always just purpose-driven, values-driven um, or value-driven, I ideally values-driven as well. But that, that takes a different tenor and it does get everyone on board. You do need everyone on board and it does tend to get everyone more, more on board if they realize we could be a rocket ship going here. Yes, I'll get on board. Yes, I'll commit to change management. Yes, I'll roll model for my teams. Yes, I will get these cross-functional groups that are usually kind of clunky working together, but I'll make it happen, happen. And you, you need that to get everyone on board with like, we're making, we're, re we're rewiring the whole organization, um, which is a book that, that Alex wrote that's a, a best-selling book called Rewired, but it works just as well for for, for Gen AI. It's, you do need like the, the you need the full organizational buy-in for sure. That's amazing. Um, Alex, something I would love to ask you about um, is, you know, based off of your vantage point, the people you're talking to, the, the companies you're consulting, who you're working with, what is one 
prediction you would make for AI going into the future that you think, you know, maybe this is something it's a it's a misconception or something not a lot of people are talking about or thinking about. But what's something, you know, one of these kind of underlooked areas that you feel like is going to, uh, you know, going to be big or some sort of prediction you have in that regard? Um, well, Jaden, it's funny you say that because every time I do a presentation or I have a client conversation, I actually start with the fact that everything I just, I will say over the next whatever hour, I reserve the right to change my mind. <laughs> uh, I, I literally, I literally say that because like the world is moving so darn fast, right? The, the, the reality is, you know, I don't know, like we don't know, right? Like just like Sora just came out, right? We didn't know like that was going to kind of change the perspective of people. What, what I, what I do, what I will say is there are some that say, let's just wait to see whether this is real or not. I would, sir, I would suggest it is absolutely real. Um, it's not going away anytime soon. Um, you know, it is fundamentally changing people's choices on what do they do in college? What do they do post-college? How do you think about your career? Um, and so I would suggest uh, that this notion of waiting is not the right approach, but really jump in and get going and learn. Uh, that I have complete confidence that that prediction will continue to be true. Um, and that it's, you know, this uh, this whole tech and data thing is not going away anytime soon. So um, you got to learn about it. The, the other thing I will just say, and I'm not sure it's a prediction, but maybe a suggestion, which is I think everyone should learn about some of these tools in some way, form, or fashion. Forget about business just for your own personal life, your own education, your own growth. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity to just increase like the world's humanity, society, better be better for the world um, by some of these technologies. And I, and I think the more you know, people can learn about how you can use these tools in your daily life, forget about business, just in your daily life, you can really improve your, your livelihood over time. I will, I will, and it's kind of a pivot, but I really believe it. I think, I think that um, thinking about what humans can get desensitized to, like, because we, because we love the value from it. So if someone had said to people in the 80s, you will post all of your inner feelings on a public forum, share pictures of like all states of duress and, and entertainment, and everyone can, the world can comment on it, you know, they would be like, I'm not exposing my private life to this, but here we are. I think that humans are so eager for connection and this whole concept of Gen AI as companion and mirror and patient, non-judgmental, you know, like advice giver. I think that's where we are going to get so addicted as humans that even some of the, even some of the objections people are having to like this kind of, you know, the fear of the singularity, the fear of job loss, all, all these things that, that folks put up as, as like the, the no way never. I, I just see so many use cases for engagement human engagement. And I love the use cases for autistic kids. I love the use cases for the elderly. Like these are, these are under-resourced communities where this actually is a very good solution. And I, and I think it helps with loneliness. And I think there's a lot of things that having help with. And on the flip side, we are, <laughs> humans are narcissistic and it creates echo chambers. And you, you, you know, especially if it, if it starts to be trained on our own, our own thoughts and feelings, and then it feeds back to us, well, we said so there's danger there with lack of critical thought, but I, 
what, what I'm saying is that from the trend perspective is I think we will quickly become very used to the the benefit we get from this from a from a co-pilot companion you know um just constant companion that it will become second nature to us very very quickly more quickly than I think we thought sure just for the record Connor I think you do have dinner with the McKinsey partner every night just for the record. <laughs> yeah, no. um um uh, at least most nights I would guess um listen I will go back to something I said earlier which is I I would just encourage people to learn whether you know I I try to get my kids to learn like play with the tools there's nothing like playing with the tools and just experimenting you know I tell people to jump onto podcasts you don't even have to read jump on a podcast listen to people who are really in the space and are talking about it all the time like you Connor um, you know, and just open up the tools and start experimenting, start playing with things and you'll learn things faster than just reading about it. And so there's nothing like just learning for your own personal sake. And so it's the one thing I always leave people with, whether it's a business conversation, talking at a university, whatever it is, it's just go spend time learning uh, and playing because I do think it's fun, right? It's, it's actually a lot of fun. So it's not just learning, but it's having fun as they as they go down this path. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the same. I think um, I've seen, because I work with a lot of lawyers and I think that they're reticent to adopt new tech and various cohorts. There's a lot of cohorts that are reticent. So when it gets overwhelming, because you need to get that knowledge, think of ways you can break it down into like just small micro habits. Like my have a dual lingo habit that's been now I'm on day, I'm on day, like 1200 and something, 1300 and something, just five minutes. I, I'm very casual. I'm very playful over this early go streak from COVID. But I think that if you just say to yourself, like if you can break down some of the barrier, a psychological barrier, because it seems overwhelming and, and you just, if you can doubt your doubts on some of those things and just say, I'm just going to do a bite-sized exposure to it and, but build on top of that. And so maybe it's just two things a day, like some, somewhere where you build it into a micro habit and use, use you know, the, the tiny habits method, BJ Fogg from Stanford. It's awesome. Just like stack it with another habit, you know, like use it to I, every Sunday, I plan our family's meals and get the shopping list. Just do that more because you, that will predispose you to doing it in your work life, which is really going to be a very big deal on your own personal and professional success. So yeah, that's make it small so that you can make it big. Absolutely love the advice from both of you. Liz, Alex, thank you so much for coming on to the AI Applied Podcast today, sharing your perspectives, your insights. This has been absolutely phenomenal. I know I have learned a lot, and I think the listeners uh, are really excited about uh, some of the takeaways here. So really appreciate it. Um, we're going to leave links in the show notes um, to your LinkedIn's, I'm assuming. That's a that's the best way for people to reach out and get in contact with you. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on to the listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to the AI Applied Podcast. Make sure to rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And we hope that you all have an amazing rest of your day.